Good morning. I'm on page 707 in this one, and it's Mark chapter 1. We're going to start at verse 14. I'll give you a moment to find it. So Mark chapter 1, verse 14. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching, because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, "'What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God.' "'Be quiet,' said Jesus sternly. "'Come out of him.' The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, "'What is this, a new teaching and with authority?' He even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever and they they told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand and helped her up. The fever left her and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak, because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, "'Everyone's looking for you!' Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he travelled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cured. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four of them. 
Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus and after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralysed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts and he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He took up, sorry, he got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone and they praised God saying, we've never seen anything like this. Good morning, everyone. And uh, now, of course, it's time for our uh, kids' church. So if the uh, children would like to head out, uh, there'll be some great teaching happening in the hall just at the rear of the building here. And a uh, very warm welcome to you if you're watching us online as well. It's great to have you with us. So I trust that you might uh, uh, put a comment on uh, Facebook or YouTube just to let, us, let us know that you've been with us. And... Uh, uh, we'll try to send a greeting back to you as well. But uh, great to have, uh, have you with us, and it's great to be here as well physically. Uh, friends, let's just bow in prayer as we uh, come to think about God's word more carefully. Father, we want to thank you for uh, this time together this morning. Uh, we pray now that you would uh, free us of all those things which would distract our minds. Help us to focus on your word and by your spirit we pray that you would be changing our minds and changing our hearts that we would be those who live with jesus as our king and we pray in his name amen well what do ordinary australians think about jesus uh, this is a question which uh, is occasionally asked uh, via surveys that are, that are published uh, surveys which often tell us what we kind of already know just by our experience of understanding people. I think it's uh, fair enough to say that most Australians uh, believe or understand, though, that Jesus is the central figure of Christianity. And uh, many would say uh, that they believe certain things about him, that they believe things perhaps which they've been uh, taught, uh, maybe in school scripture, um, that they believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that uh, he died on the cross, that he rose from the dead, uh, that he's knowing things about Jesus, but not actually being amazed by Jesus. And these things not actually changing their lives. That would have been a fair description of me uh, at one point in my life, and that may be true of you as well. Of course, uh, many Australians just don't uh, have much of an opinion about Jesus one way or the other, do they? Uh, other than to, uh, you know, to know and to think, well, Jesus was a religious leader who had some good things to say. Um, things like loving your neighbour as yourself, you know, the, the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do uh, unto you, uh, good morals for life. And yet they too are not 
amazed by Jesus. And then there are some who um, quite actively would rather that people stop even talking about Jesus uh, so that we can all just get on with life without being bothered by him. Do you know that uh, people have been trying that for a long time, haven't they? <laughs> They've been trying that for uh, the last couple of thousand years and yet what are we doing here today? We are here talking about Jesus, talking about Jesus. Now, last week uh, we saw that uh, the Gospel writer Mark uh, made some amazing claims about Jesus. Um, how did he describe Jesus in, in the opening verse of his uh, Gospel? He described him as Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God. The Christ, meaning uh, the Anointed One. Anointed meaning the King. The King meaning God's King. Now, that's an extraordinary claim, isn't it? And uh, you don't go making a claim like that unless you're seriously deluded or you've got some pretty good evidence. And so in Mark chapter 1, uh, we see that uh, Mark actually uh, wastes no time in start to, starting to lay out his case for Jesus, uh, laying out the evidence about Jesus. Now, the thing about being a king is that, well, the king, at least in the traditional sense of a king, is that kings have authority. And so Mark, uh, in our passage to today, describes uh, the authority of Jesus as it's expressed in four key areas. And we're going to go through those four key areas as we look at the passage this morning. You might want to have that open in your Bibles in Mark chapter 1 and 2. Uh, where, first of all, G uh, Mark shows that Jesus had has authority over men. Now, in chapter 1, verses 16 to 20, uh, Jesus had been down in uh, Judea, but he uh, travelled up north um, around the time of the, uh, the execution of uh, John the Baptist. He headed up north uh, from Judea to the Sea of Galilee, uh, where he met two sets of brothers, uh, Simon and Andrew, and also James and John. Now, for these, uh, these guys, uh, this was an, uh, just an, uh, an otherwise ordinary day at work for them. They were fishermen, uh, work, uh, working on their nets and uh, fishing from their boats. An ordinary day at work for them until they encountered Jesus. Uh, in Luke's Gospel, we're told that Jesus actually miraculously gave um, two of the brothers... A, uh, a miraculous catch of fish. But Mark's point here is to focus on the authority of Jesus over men. Uh, in verse 15, he came into Galilee proclaiming that the kingdom of God uh, was near, that the kingdom of God had arrived, had come. And when he called these men to follow him and become uh, fishers, of a different kind, fishers of men, what did they do? They dropped their nets, they left their boats and they went and followed Jesus. Now, of course, it's a bit of a stretch to say that because they did that, that therefore Jesus has authority, therefore Jesus is God's king. And yet, you know, over the last 2,000 years, there have been countless millions of people who've done exactly what these fishermen have done, in a sense, of uh, leaving behind their old lives and uh, 
and following after Jesus, people like many of us. So, how did Jesus then retrain them to be fishers, not of fish, but fishers of men? Well, he uh, took, the, took them with him on a fishing trip. He took them uh, with him to do some fishing around the Sea of Galilee. Now, of course, if you want to fish for men, where, where do you go? Well, you go to where the fish are. You go to where the men are, and that is uh, in the city. Um, Capernaum was the city. Capernaum was built on the uh, northwestern edge of the Sea of Galilee, and it is there that we see the authority of Jesus expressed in his word. On the Saturday, uh, they went fishing in the synagogue where Jesus started to teach. Let's pick it up at verse 21. They went to Capernaum and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching. Now why? Why were they amazed at his teaching? Well, Mark tells us because he taught them as one who had authority and not as the teachers of the law. Now, think about uh, what um, synagogue uh, life was like for them. There would be other preachers, other teachers who would uh, come and teach them on the, on the, on the Sabbath. And uh, uh, these other teachers, these rabbis, when they taught, they would often um, quote others. Uh, if they're making a point, they might say that uh, they might refer to a rabbi who was more reputable than them. Uh, and they would say, well, th this is what I'm saying, but rabbi so-and-so backs this up. This is what rabbi such-and-such says about this. Or, or even better, uh, they would uh, quote from Moses. I'd be quoting from the law of Moses. But when Jesus taught uh, throughout the Gospels, what did he typically say? We see it uh, a lot, I think, in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthews 5 and 7 where Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, but truly, truly, I say to you. I say to you. I mean, he's not even like one of the prophets of the Old Testament because when the prophets preached, uh, they would say, thus saith the Lord. And they wouldn't say, this is what I say. They would say, this is what the Lord says, but no, for Jesus it is, I say to you. Imagine if I was doing that. We don't do that here, do we? I don't say, this is what I say. I said, look, look at what the scriptures say. Look at what Jesus says. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, because Jesus has authority. This is a claim to authority, and the people, we're told, were amazed. They were amazed by that. Although in the congregation, there was one person who was deeply disturbed uh, check out verse 23 uh, just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out what do you want with us Jesus of Nazareth have you come to destroy us I know who you are the holy one of God be quiet said Jesus sternly come out of him and the evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. Now, we live in uh, more than just a physical universe. We live in a spiritual universe uh, where the Bible teaches that Satan 
has his angels who, who do his work in passages like Matthew 25, 41 or 2 Peter 2, 4 or Revelation 12, 7 to 9. Satan has his angels. And here is a man who, strangely, although possessed by one of Satan's demons, um, seemed to feel comfortable about going to the synagogue um, for worship on a Saturday. Very interesting. I wonder if that tells you something about the teaching in the synagogue. I don't know. But it's interesting. He felt comfortable going there. didn't see anything inappropriate about going there until Jesus came. Jesus came teaching that the kingdom of God is now invading the kingdom of the ruler of this world. And that evokes a response. That evokes a reaction from the evil spirit saying through the man, have you come to destroy us? And uh, you kind of get the impression that the evil spirit knew the answer to that question, don't you? I know who you are. The Holy One of God. Now, this is an attempt at sabotage. That's why he says it. This is an attempt at sabotage because notice that Jesus shuts him up, doesn't he? Jesus tells him very sternly to keep quiet. That's a polite way of putting it. You see... The issue here is that many Jews thought that when God's Christ came, when God's king came, that he would establish a kingdom, but it would be an earthly kingdom, much like the kingdom under King David and King Solomon, which would be established by force, by rallying up people, by starting a revolt, by driving, by fighting and driving out the Romans. And yet God's kingdom would be established not by force, but by the death and the resurrection of God's king. That's the mission of Jesus. That's the mission which must not be hindered by wrong expectations growing up around him. Now, the person who would reveal the identity of Jesus would be God, as he did through Peter when we get to chapter 8. God would pick the timing of that revelation. Satan does not get to do that. And so Jesus uh, commands the spirit to, to leave his host, his victim. And uh, that would have been frightening. The, uh, the shaking, the violent shaking, the the shrieking as the spirit uh, demonstrably left this poor man, that would have been frightening, but what was it which actually stunned the people? Verse 27. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching and with authority he gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. His words have authority. Uh, not just that he speaks as the one who is uh, authoritative, truly, truly, I say to you, but his words have authority even so that he, when he commands an evil spirit, the evil spirit only has one option, and that is to obey. That's authority. That's amazing. 
you can't just ignore Jesus, can you? You can't just uh, push him to one side and just hope he'll go away. No, he has authority over men. He has, there is authority in his word. And then in verses 29 through to 44, Jesus has authority over sickness. Now, in the Old Testament, one of these signs that um, God's kingdom was invading the kingdom of the, of the ruler of this world, one of the signs of that would be a, just a little foretaste of, of heaven, a, a manifestation of the reversal of the effects of the fall, that sick people would be made well. Um, for example, in Isaiah chapter 35, how will you know when God's king has arrived. Well, you'll know that God, God's king has turned up because the blind will see, the deaf will hear, the lame will leap, and uh, those who are mute will be shouting for joy. That's how you'll know. And here it is. Here it is, in fact, when John the Baptist was in prison and he started to wonder whether or not uh, Jesus was the expected one. He sent his disciples to Jesus to ask him and he, Jesus says to his disciples, well, look at what's happening to people. The blind can see, the deaf can hear, the mute can talk. Go and tell John about this. Go and report this back to John. And here it is. We're in verses 29 to 32... The mother-in-law of Simon Peter, one of the fishermen who became the Apostle Peter, was healed by Jesus. Now, can you imagine what medical science was like in the first century? <laughs> well, I, I dare say that if a sick person was healed of their sickness, it probably wasn't because of the advanced medical uh, uh, science. It probably wasn't because of the terrific hospitals that they had or the uh, great pharmaceuticals that were around at the time. It was probably because the sickness had, had run its course and uh, often leaving behind um, the effects of that on the person. And so sickness was a very real issue in the ancient world. And therefore we can understand why it is that when word got around about Jesus that many people came for help. In fact, uh, so many people came to Jesus for help in Capernaum that he, that he actually had to withdraw to a solitary place. And uh, then when his disciples found him, they said to him, what are you doing here? Don't you know that everyone's after you? And Jesus astonishes them by saying, okay, we better go and go somewhere else and uh, preach the, the good news in the towns and the villages around Galilee because that's why I've come. I've actually not come for healing, I've come to preach the good news. But here uh, we see that he's uh, uh, back in, in, um, uh, in Galilee. One of the uh, persons who came to Jesus was a man who was stricken uh, with that dreadful isolating uh, disease, which is leprosy. In verses 40 to 42... A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cured. 
if you are willing. You know, nobody else would have been willing. No one would, no one would even go near a person who was infected with leprosy, let alone touch one. They had to live away from everybody else and uh, when they were on the move, they had to warn people that they were coming so that people could get out of the way. Fear of contagion and knowledge that to touch a leper would render such that person to be unclean in the sight of God. Imagine the scene here. There would have been no crowd around, just a man begging, if you are willing. And in a scene which points us to how Jesus would become our king, he reaches out. And touches the man. And the man is healed. Jesus becomes unclean so that the man can become clean. Just as on the cross, he who was innocent bore our sins so that we who were guilty could be made clean in the sight of God, forgiven of our sins and restored in our relationship with the Lord. Which leads us to the final expression of Jesus' authority, which is in chapter 2, the first 12 verses of chapter 2. And the scene is someone's home in Capernaum. It might have been Peter's uh, mother-in-law's home. We don't know whose home it was. But it's a home in Capernaum in which a crowd had gathered in a house in order to hear Jesus teach. Uh, in fact, the crowd was the house was so packed that the crowd was overflowing uh, through the uh, into the street. And Mark tells us about five men, uh, one of whom is paralysed, and his four friends, who would prefer him to be no longer paralysed, would like to see him healed. The problem is that they. They can't fight their way through the crowd to get to Jesus. So if you can't get through the door, what do you do? You come through the roof. And so they, uh, <clears throat> they got up onto the roof. They managed to get onto it. So it would be the flat roof on those, um, those buildings at that time, a flat roof. And they smash a hole through the, through the roof. And you imagine you know, the people in the, below, you know, with all of the plaster and stuff coming through, what a mess that would have made. So they get onto the roof. They smash a hole through the roof through the roof and they lower their friend down on a mat uh, right in front of Jesus. And uh, we see in verse 5, when Jesus saw their faith, what did he do? He said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, does that sound a bit strange to you? I mean, uh, you know, there's a man who's, who's clearly in need of healing and yet that's not actually Jesus' number one priority. Your sins are forgiven. Why? Well, it's not because Jesus is equating his paralysis with any particular sin. Uh, I don't think that's the case. I think it's more this. The question is, what is every person's greatest need? 
What is your greatest need? Uh, for any of us to be made whole, uh, what is needed is not, not our healing, but our forgiveness. Uh, I've had friends, as, as you will have had friends as well, may even be your situation. Uh, friends who have gone through life um, with uh, very, very debilitating um, conditions and, and disabilities, afflictions. But friends who've been made whole because they've learnt about Jesus, because they've understood who he is and what he's done for them. They've trusted in Jesus uh, and they've been forgiven of their sins and have lived with Jesus as their Lord. Uh, as they look forward to their physical healing in heaven. In fact, the moment that this man was forgiven, he became far better off than any able-bodied, unforgiven person. Although, <laughs> still, we might imagine, imagine the paralysed man thinking, um, well, thank you, Jesus, for forgiving me, and also... I'm wondering if you might do something about my paralysis. Now, he might have been thinking that. Some of the religious leaders were there, the uh, teachers of the law, and we don't even have to imagine what they thought. Jesus certainly didn't imagine, have to imagine what they thought because Jesus could read their minds. And in verse 7, what they thought is, who is this Jesus? Who does he think he is? Claiming to be able to forgive. There's only one person who can forgive sins, and that is God. Now, they're right, aren't they? For by claiming authority to forgive sins, Jesus is claiming to be God. Jesus knew what they were thinking. And so he said to them, well, what is easier, to say to this paralytic, your sins are forgiven, which is something which cannot be physically verified, or to say to this man, this man who no matter, um, no matter what his brain says, what, no matter what signals his brain sends to his body, his body just cannot respond, to say to him, get up, pick up your mat and be on your way home. What's easier? And as that actually happened... On his own two feet. Well, that's a glimpse of heaven, isn't it? It's hard to beat. Forgiven of his sin and restored in his body. Uh, the crowd in verse 12 were, they were amazed. They praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. Never. Authority over men, authority in his word, authority over sickness, even authority to forgive sins. It's amazing, isn't it? Are you, um, are you still amazed by Jesus? Uh, you know, in April this year, there was an article that was published... Um, by the ABC, 
which uh, said that 24% of Australians who were surveyed claim to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. That's great, isn't it? That's terrific. That's good news. Although it kind of one is, makes you wonder, well, what kind of belief is this? Are they amazed by Jesus? Have they, are they so amazed that they've trusted in Jesus? Are they so amazed that they now live with Jesus as their king? Makes you wonder. But never mind them. What about us? You know, it's easy for us um, to become so familiar with Jesus that, um, that we become complacent and uh, we lose that, that due sense of, of astonishment uh, which ought to lead us to, uh, to really rejoice and to really to be full of praise for him because he's no ordinary person. And he can't be ignored. And, and we can't um, just um, compartmentalise Jesus into one uh, part of our lives. The, the fishermen, they found Jesus compelling, so compelling that they left everything to follow him. And so the question for us is, are you amazed by Jesus in who he is and is what he's done for you. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for this uh, great uh, record of uh, the, um, the work of Jesus as we see uh, his uh, authority demonstrated in so many ways. Father, we pray for ourselves that we wouldn't be uh, people who become... Uh, uh, so um, complacent about Jesus that we become lukewarm in our faith and uh, that we start to follow after other things rather than following after him. Father, we pray that you'd be working in our hearts and our minds, that we would be encouraged in the Lord Jesus and that we would be amazed by him, so amazed that we would give ourselves over to him entirely and just want to tell others about Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.